Father, we just thank you for your goodness, for your love towards us, for your presence with us. God, how could we go up from this place except you go with us? We just pray this morning that, God, you would just breathe on your word and cause it to produce life in our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we continued our journey through John, which we're doing because we want to know Jesus better and we want his life to be part of our lives. And last time I spoke, we spoke about the word, the big idea, the reason behind everything becoming flesh. And so today I'm going to continue with that series and we're up to John chapter 1 and verse 19. And this is a passage basically about who John the Baptist actually is. So we're reading this from the the new NIV, and this is what it says. It says, now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I'm not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why do you baptize if you are not the Messiah or nor nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming to him and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. A couple of years ago, when I was on Facebook, I started getting notifications from some of my friends uh, that they had accepted my friend requests. The only problem was I hadn't sent them a request. And when I checked it out, I found that somebody had duplicated my Facebook page and they were trying to basically steal my identity. Uh, It's pretty scary when a crook tries to pretend that they are you. Uh, Some of our missionaries have had the same sort of thing. I remember a few years back having a request come through by email from one of our missionaries. It said they were in a real bind and they were asking for money. And I thought, hmm, that doesn't sound like them. Checked it up and basically it was a scammer who had got onto their email account, pretended to be them, sent requests out to everyone asking for money. And uh, you've just got to be careful. Identity theft is incredibly common. Uh, Last year in the US, 8.6 million households, that's 7% of everybody over the age of 16 suffered from some form of identity theft. 13 years ago, uh, many of us saw the film Catch Me If You Can, based on the life of Frank Abagnale Jr., By the age of 19, guys, by the age of 19, Frank was recognized by the FBI as one of the greatest con men of all times. In the space of five years, he had forged and passed $5 million worth of fraudulent checks. He'd impersonated a Pan Am pilot flying thousands of miles around the world. He impersonated a pediatrician. He impersonated a lawyer. That wouldn't be very hard, would it, Rupert? (laughs) And, And he passed his bar exams. 
okay? He impersonated a university lecturer. But all of that, guys, pales into insignificance compared to the greatest identity thief of all time. And every one of us here this morning have suffered identity theft by the most infamous con man of all, that's Satan, whose sole purpose is to kill, steal, destroy your life and identity in Jesus Christ. He wants you to believe that you are less than the person that God created you to be, and he wants to stop you from fulfilling God's plans and purposes for your life. In Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, it says, As a man thinks in his head, so is he. So Satan knows that if he can get you to believe a lie about yourself, you will live beneath what God has created for you. And so he tricks people into establishing their identity based on all the wrong things. And we end up building our identity and our self-worth based on things like appearance or occupation or gender or social status, position, monetary position, family, nationality, children. Some people live out their lives through their kids. We base our identity on experiences, successes and failures in the past. We base our identity around the words that other people have spoken over us. We base our identity around our behavior. An identity based on these things can be incredibly destructive. You think about it. If you base your identity on your physical appearance, what happens if you have an accident and you become disabled? Are you less of a person after the accident than you were before? Family, friends, teachers, employers and others have all communicated to us from time to time information on which some of us base our identity and our perceptions of self-worth. Hands up if people have ever told you that you are useless, worthless, an idiot, fool, failure, good for nothing, hopeless. Come on. How many people have? Most of us. Most of us have received that. And we're not just talking about the person driving in front of you. I think because we've all received that sort of input, we can all identify with poor old Charlie Brown. He always gets a hard time from his friends. He's told he's a useless softball pitcher. He's always taking on board what others say. Charlie Brown has consistently been told that he's the worst of everything there is. And even when Charlie Brown manages to hit the baseball for the very first time, Lucy tells him it's the sign that the end of the world has come. I mean, how's that for your ego? And as a result, poor old Charlie Brown sees himself as never measuring up. He lives and acts like a failure because that's what people have told him that he is. But it's not just in the comic strips. I saw this picture of Meryl Streep on the internet a little while back. This was Meryl Streep on her way home from an audition for King Kong where she was told that she was too ugly for the part. She says in her Facebook page, this was a pivotal moment for me. 
this one rogue opinion could de derail my dreams of becoming an actress. I took a deep breath and I said, I'm sorry you think I'm too ugly for your film, but you're just one opinion in a sea of thousands and I'm off to find a kinder tide. And today, of course, she's got 18 Academy Awards. That's not bad for ugly, is it? That's pretty good. It's interesting, though, when you think about the words that have been spoken on your life, the only primary school teacher whose name I can remember is the one that pulled me up by the ear and told me that my spelling and writing were worse than his three-year-olds and told me that I wouldn't mount to anything unless I improved. You know, Proverbs 12, verse 18 says that reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And some of us have built our identities around words and their associated circumstances that are like a virtual curse. But Jesus said he came to heal the brokenhearted and set captives free. If you focus on what other people say about you, you're gonna be horribly disappointed. In the scriptures that we started with this morning, we saw that John the Baptist was absolutely certain about who he was. He was absolutely certain about what he was called to do, and he was absolutely certain about who Jesus was. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in comparison to who Jesus was, he saw himself, he said, I'm not even worthy to untie his, his shoelaces. You know, how did John the Baptist come to know who he was? It wasn't like someone said, well, you go out in the wilderness, you dress in goat skin, eat locusts and honey, and you'll draw a crowd. That is not, that is not a plan for success. But John the Baptist had a revelation of who Jesus was, and because of the revelation, because he knew who Jesus was, he knew who he was, and because he knew who he was, he could find out what he was called to do. You see, if you don't know who Jesus Christ is, you won't believe what he says about you. The one person that knows all about you, the one person who knows you better than yourself is your creator, Father God, who made you for a purpose. But you won't believe his words unless you know him and have his Holy Spirit breathing his life and his words and speaking his dreams and his plans and his purposes into your life. You know, God designed every person with a purpose in mind, and he sees you in the light of the purpose for which you have been created. When he calls you to follow him, he doesn't call you according to your ability. The disciples were fishermen when he called them, not apostles, but he calls us according to our potential 
what you can be in Him. As a young man, I was an executive working in the dairy industry when in 1987, I attended a black power funeral. It was a funeral for one of the guys who had been in a home group that I had uh, been looking after, and this young man had got involved with black power as his his brothers had done, and one day he was bending over, changing the tire on his car, when another gang came up behind, smashed his head in, and he died. I went to his funeral, and I'd just spoken, and I'd just sitting down, and I heard for the very first time the outside audible voice of God. And God said to me, how many more young men will die before you'll preach my word? Normally when God speaks to me, he speaks from the inside out. But this one, this time it came from the outside in. Now I had a fantastic job. I was enjoying what I was doing. But from that moment onward, I knew that my time, my days in the dairy industry were numbered. Within six months, I had resigned my position with New Zealand Dairy and I had volunteered my time at Hamilton Assembly of God Church, and I became, uh, I suppose, the PA for the senior uh, minister there, and so when he wanted to start a Bible college, I started the Bible college for him. So I suppose I was doing the job that Sam's doing in uh, Church Unlimited. Uh, when, he, when the senior minister wanted to do breakfast for businessmen, I sorted them out. So I ran the office, sorted out his projects, did all that sort of thing. But there was something within me that wasn't satisfied. And and if I was truly honest, looking back, I was pretty, uh, I, I was insecure in that position. In 1990, I had the opportunity to take my family to Chile. One of the missionaries that we support, Gary Levins, wanted to come back on furlough. So we did a house swap and we went to Chile for three and a half years, uh, three and a half months. <laughs> it seemed like three and a half years at times. Uh, but sold my boat uh, to be able to get the airfares and take the family across. And, you know, I think God saw my sacrifice. Because when I was there, God met me again for a second time. Aren't you pleased that God's the God of the second chance? That when He calls you, He keeps on calling. He keeps on calling. He keeps on emphasizing. He keeps on underlining it. And when I was there, not only did I learn to hear the voice of God more clearly, but God just spoke into my spirit and told me afresh He'd called me to preach the Word. Now, I never had the opportunity to preach the gospel. I'd run a home group. I'd done that sort of thing, but I'd never stood in a pulpit and preached until I actually went to Chile. It might have been one time before that. When I came back, God had so spoken to my heart that I came back with the attitude, well, if the guys at Hamilton AOG think my time is up here and they say, Don, you're finished, that's okay, I thought, because God has called me. And if God has called me, if one door is shut, another one was open. You know, my attitude completely changed. The way I viewed life completely changed. The way I viewed my job completely changed within... Within nine months, I had the responsibility for uh, Tiaroa, Morrinsville, Raglan, Assemblies of God. And I had the privilege of guiding those churches through some difficult times. A few years later, 
a number of churches that had asked me to lead. And it wasn't because I was anything much in God, but it was because God had called me. And there was a sense of anointing and calling on my life. But it happened. It happened because God spoke to me afresh. And I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew. You know, when God calls things, he calls things that don't yet appear as if they already exist. In fact, whatever God says already exists in the real of the Spirit. When God spoke the word, the heavens and the earth were created. And they were created in the Spirit before they were created in the flesh. And when God speaks a word over your life, you can take that and you believe that because it'll be true in the Spirit. And it just takes time for the natural to catch up with the Spirit. Often God seems to ignore the natural and declares creative words over people. And he's been doing that to us over the last little while because as a church, God has spoken words over us. And because our response to those words, it's like we've been adopted into the church unlimited family. We have the same rights. We have the same privileges as Church Unlimited Kaitaia, as Auckland City, as Glendine. And we have the same God-given calling and the same vision and empowerment. As a church family, God has called us as an apostolic influence. He has called you and I as an arrow of truth winning souls. We are called to ignite God's fire and power and we're called into the nations. But if we don't believe that God has called us, if we don't believe that he's appointed us, if we don't believe that he has empowered us, we won't walk in it because as we think, so are we. You see this in the life of the apostle Peter. In Mark chapter 3, verse 16, you read how Jesus called his disciples. One of them is Simon Bajona. Simon means reed or blade of glass, something that bends with the wind. And that's what Simon was. And that's what he was like. And he had an up and down temperament. One minute he's walking on water, the next minute he's sinking. One minute he's speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The next thing Jesus turns around him and says, get behind me, Satan. That'd be a bit of a letdown, wouldn't it? You know, one minute he has his mind on earth, heavenly things. The next thing Jesus tells him, his mind's on earthly things. One minute he's cutting off a guy's ear to protect Jesus. The next he's denying Jesus for three times. When Jesus called Simon, he changed his name from Simon to Peter. Peter meaning a rock. And it wasn't just a name change. It was that Jesus saw him as a strength. Jesus saw him as a rock. Jesus saw him what he could be. But the problem was that even though he received the vision, even though he received what Jesus said, he didn't take it in and he didn't become it. He didn't live it. But Jesus didn't give up. He encouraged him. Even after he fails, he gives Peter another chance. And he gets alongside him and he says, Peter, it was like he was saying, hey, I want to refresh your vision. I want to give you a fresh calling. I want you to tend my lambs. I want you to shepherd my sheep. I want you to tend my sheep. You know, that changed Peter for good. Out of a position of failure, came a strength 
It's like his head knowledge of who he was and what God had called him to be suddenly got transferred into his heart as the resurrected Jesus Christ breathed on him. What a change. Instead of going fishing, Peter goes to a prayer meeting. The Holy Spirit falls. He gets baptized with the Holy Spirit. He preaches the gospel. 3,000 people are saved. He goes up for prayer to the temple and sees a beggar at the gate, beautiful, heals him, and as a result of the miracle, 5,000 get saved. He writes a letter to the Christians in Asia Minor, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. What a change happened in his life because God breathed the fresh on him and he received a fresh an inspiration of who he was and what he was called to do. Just because you've made mistakes, just because you've failed a few times, doesn't make you a failure. But how you view your circumstances is going to impact your identity and self-worth. We need to look into the Word of God and say, Lord, who do you say that I am? Everyone needs that fresh revelation. Jesus said, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. And this morning, God, I really believe, is wanting to break chains of bondage in people's lives. He's wanting to set people free. And he's wanting you to see yourself as God sees you. Isaiah 43 verse 1, don't fear for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, child you are mine. Isaiah 49 verse 15, I call this the fridge magnet verse. Because if God had a fridge your name would be on the magnet on that fridge. He says, I won't forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. You are ever before me. <coughs> we need to believe what God says about us. He says in Jeremiah 29 verse 11, I know the plans that I've got for you, declares the Lord. Plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future and give you a hope. God views us in the light of how he created us. So what are some practical keys to establishing your identity in Christ? Well, first of all, you've got to resolve the past. You need to forgive and be forgiven because these are things that will stop you from receiving and believing God's plans and God's purposes for your life. 1 John 1 verse 8 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. So everybody here, we're all a bunch of sinners. That's the Turn to the person next to you and say, you're just a sinner. <laughs> That'll encourage them, won't they? You know, as we're building up, yeah, that's the bad news. The bad news is every one of us have sinned. Every one of us. The good news is when we read, read on, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That is so fantastic. That is so brilliant that when we ask God to forgive us, He forgives us. Sin results in guilt and shame. And when you're covered in guilt and shame, you can't be who you're supposed to be. You can, you can put on a self that looks good and gets accepted but you're not really true to yourself. And you put on a mask and you try and be something you're not. But Jesus came to break the power of sin and set us free to be the people that he has created us to be. 
Number two, we've got to stop listening to the negative stuff that Satan and others are saying about us. Put it aside. Put it aside. Don't believe it. Number three, start reading what God says about us and listen to Him. He's the one that our identity is based on. We need to personalize it. We need to meditate on it. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that's written therein. Then you'll be prosperous. Then you'll have success. Isn't it interesting that when John the Baptist asked who he was, he quoted Scripture. He's quoted from the book of Isaiah. And we need to know the Word of God inside of us so that when we are challenged as to who we are, you can just say, hey, I'm a child of God. I've been forgiven. I've been set free. We need to start believing it and embracing it. We need to start speaking it out and we start, need to start living it. We need to start building our lives on what God says about us, not what the enemy says. So who are we in Jesus Christ? As the musicians come, we're a child of God. We're a new creation. We're the dwelling of God. You know, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. Do you know what makes Fort Knox valuable? It's not the outward building. Fort Knox is valuable because it holds the entire U.S. reserve of gold within it. That's what makes Fort Knox valuable. And what makes you valuable is that you have the Holy Spirit within you. You have the King of kings and the Lord of lords dwelling inside of you. We're an heir of God. We're a priest of God. We're a king. We're a citizen of heaven. We're more than a conqueror. We're his workmanship. You know what makes a masterpiece valuable? Penny and I, a number of years ago, had the privilege of going through a number of art museums in London, and we saw some of the most amazing masterpieces that have ever been painted. But you know what makes them valuable? They're valuable because they've been painted by a master. And you are God's masterpiece. You are God's creation. You are the one that He gave His one and only Son. We are loved of God. God demonstrates His love for us and that while we were sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. We're precious because the most precious person in the whole of the universe came and died for you and I. We're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. We're the head, not the tail. We're the apple of His eye. Matthew 13 says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything that he had and bought it. When I was growing up in Pentecost, I used to be told that the pearl of great price was Jesus Christ. And that I had to go and give up everything and follow Him. And while that's a nice thought, when I started studying the Bible, when I started applying hermeneutical principles to the Word of God, I realized that that verse had been interpreted completely wrong. You see, when you have a look at the verses like this, never ever is God a thing. He's always a person. 
And when you look at that verse again, what that says is that the kingdom of heaven, God, is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything to buy it. You know, you are the pearl of great price. You are the one that God gave everything so that you could come to know Him. Who are you listening to this morning? Who are you gonna believe? Believe God and what He says about you and your circumstances. See, Jesus has a dream that He wants to dream through you. It's the dream of you becoming everything that He has created you to be so that you can do everything that He's planned and purposed and dreamed for you to do. Why don't you stand with me this morning? You know, the first step in finding out who you are is to find out who Jesus is. And if you're here this morning and you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, if you've never asked Him to forgive you of your sin, if you've never asked Him to have His complete way in your life, then you're always going to be living beneath what God has planned and purposed for you. If you're here this morning, and just as I've spoken, the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you, and you just know that today is the day that you need to give your life afresh over to Jesus Christ. You need to say, God, come into my life afresh. I want to know you because I want to be the person that you have created me to be. If that's you this morning, I want to pray for you. And how will I know who to pray for? I'd like you just to raise your hand right where you are. So anyone here this morning and you just want to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life. You want to give your life to Him. You want to know His peace which passes all understanding which we receive when He forgives us of all of our sin. You might not be living a life that's pleasing to God but this morning you want that to change. If that's you, why don't you just put your hand up I'll just see it and you can put it down again just as I look around the auditorium. Let's have the ministry team just come and stand on the front of you would guys. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Is there anyone here this morning? I'm assuming then that everyone here knows Jesus Christ. Everyone here is living hard out for Him. But I believe the reason why God gave me this message this morning is because there are people here this morning, all of us have from time to time, live beneath our calling because we've received words. We've based our identity on things that we've done or things that we haven't done. And this morning, God wants to break those powers, those chains of bondage, and He wants to set you free. So if you're here this morning and you want to come into a place of being able to believe God's Word, receive God's Word, you want to know for sure who you are in God, you want to have those chains 
of bondage broken over you because of things that people have said in your life, because of arrows, because of darts, because of daggers that have been stabbing in the back, which you continually come back to. If that's you this morning, I want you to just come to the front and the ministry team will just begin to start praying and inviting the Holy Spirit to come into your situation you were in these circumstances. If that's you this morning, don't wait for anybody else. Just come. Because God wants to work in the power of the Spirit and break those chains of bondage.